summary. I'm your host, George, and we got a fan favorite returning. We got Carlos back in Studio H because we are talking all about Spider-Man today. Carlos, how you doing, man? I'm doing swell. How are you doing? I am doing great. Had my car service today and it didn't take as long as I thought it would and it wasn't as expensive as I thought it would be. So I'm feeling I'm feeling awesome. I got to be honest. I'm glad to hear it. I'm feeling amazing. Let's yeah. say spectacular even. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm glad you're not feeling superior or sinister or or any of the, the, the bad adjectives that come along with Spider-Man. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Carlos, you're here because we're talking about Spider-Man Blue. Last episode, we talked about Marvels, and I wanted to do this for a couple of reasons. Things we're about to get to like House of M. Things are about to change, like fundamentally in the Marvel universe. I think there's a really good editorial direction where they commit to the bit for like eight years. And so it be, kind of becomes like its own era of Marvel. And so before we jump into that headlong, I want to take one last look at, at where we were. Like I want to I want to talk about the thing that's going to make the next couple years so different. And so we talked about Marvels, which I think is an excellent book. You mentioned how much you like that book in a in a personal message to me that you were happy that we covered that. And there's this series of books called The Color Books, and that's by the same uh, creative team. It is by writer Jeff Loeb and excuse me, and artist Tim Sale. And they have a couple books. One is Spider-Man Blue, the book we're talking about today. The other is Daredevil Yellow. The other is Hulk Gray. And the other is Captain America White. And these are books that are kind of out of time. They came out starting in the 2000s, and they take a more traditional approach, I guess, to to these heroes while being completely modern interpretations of them. So like they, they strike a really delicate balance. Now, how familiar are you with a color series besides Spider-Man Blue, which I know you think quite fondly on? I'm I'm pretty familiar with it. I think the Captain America one is the only one I'm not really familiar with, but I love Hulk Gray. Like I think Hulk Gray might, you know, could be argued to be one of their best ones. I love Hulk Gray a lot. Um, and then Daredevil Yellow, it's beautiful. Um and I know it's not uh, the color series, but it's the same creative team as Long Halloween, Dark Victory. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just I think this team makes magic together and Spider-Man Blue, no exception. Of course, it's a classic. Um, so, yeah, when you told me you wanted to talk about this one, I was super excited, um, especially coming off of Dr. Octopus year one, because I feel like there's uh similarities to like how the stories are told in that they're like retrospective uh looking back on these earlier days through a new lens um and i think that's awesome and yeah super excited love this mini yeah god jeff love and tim sale tim sale actually passed away this year last year very very recently was was lost to us and one of the one of my favorite, I don't know if I want to say the best, but one of the best to me comic creators, for sure. Just had such a unique perspective, such a unique style. And you mentioned Long Halloween, Dark Victory. Those are two excellent Batman books, but also did Catwoman, When in Rome, did Superman for All Seasons, did a Challengers of the Unknown book. Like They just always work together on these projects that really elevated 
whichever character they want to focus on. And every book they've done together has become... Like, how would you rank Spider-Man Blue? Like, is it one of the first five stories you'd recommend someone read for Spider-Man? Because I think it might be for me. And, like, I even had issues with it. Like, there are parts of this book that I don't think are especially strong. But that said, I still think it would be... If not one of the first five, one of the first three, one of the first ten, like it, it absolutely has to come up when when talking to someone interested in getting into comics. I mean, I don't disagree. Uh, my recommendation list is always changing, and I usually try to keep it as modern as possible. But I mean, yeah, this is a classic. This is a masterpiece. I think pretty much every Spider-Man fan should read this. Mm -hmm. uh, same way every Spider-Man fan should read Amazing Fantasy 15 or the actual like Death of Gwen Stacy. Like this is one of those classics that you just got to read at some point, you know? Yeah. Um, it's really great. I agree, despite my problems with it. And it, we're we're going to talk about that problem in in probably later in the episode, if I'm being honest. Uh, first, let's set the scene. This book comes out in 2002. The first issue comes out in May of 2002. And uh, I'm going to be really annoying. I'm not going to go by the actual publishing dates. I'm going to go by the cover dates for these books. So that's basically when they tell retailers like, okay, it's been long enough. You can pull this off the shelf and, and send it back to us. Uh, but this book comes out in May 2002. It is the number eight selling book of the month with an estimated 84,000 copies, which is big numbers compared to today. Um, the only books ahead of it, Let's see, what do we got? We got Transformers Generation 1. That was part of like Dreamwave. They were like a newer publisher and they got the Transformers license and they had beautiful art by Pat Lee. I remember buying those books when I was visiting New York City with my family. And uh, goddamn, those books were so cool. This is before the license went to IDW. We got New X-Men. That is the Grant Morrison, Frank Wiley era of New X-Men. That was number two. Uh, Ultimates issue number five. Sold 110,000 copies, which is just bonkers, bananas numbers by today's reckoning. Amazing Spider-Man 41 was the number four selling book. I believe that was still JMS, John Romita Jr. territory. Yeah. That was 10 issues into their run. That's why we got you. You're my you're my Spider-Man, Carlos. You're you're my Spider-Man. Wow. Yeah. I would correct myself and say 11 issues technically. <laughs> <laughs> Ultimate X-Men 18, Uncanny X-Men 406, Ultimate Spider-Man 22. Those are the first seven books, best-selling. And then Spider-Man Blue at eight. Uh, it's important to note that the Spider-Man movie comes out April 29th, 2002. So within the next calendar month, this book comes out. And this book... Ooh, is this a good book to read if uh, your first introduction to Spider-Man is the movie? from 2002 yeah why not there's no mention of Gwen Stacy in the movies whatsoever well that's fair but <laughs> I, <laughs> I would contend I think this this series tells you everything you need to know about Spider-Man in a way like that first issue and we'll get to it when we get to it but I, I really think it just captures the character pretty perfectly um so I think there's no bad time to read this. Um, yeah, yeah. The top 10 movies, again, I pulled from July. So, like, obviously, when this book came out, Spider-Man was the number one movie. Um, probably should have gone back and actually done the math for that. But I wanted to keep everything more or less concentric. So, 
The number 10 movie in July 2002, Reign of Fire, which is the Matthew McConaughey, Christian Bale movie about how humanity almost goes extinct to to dragons that they accidentally wake up in London. Man, I saw that in theaters. That movie was a trip. Number nine, The Born Identity. That movie fucks still, right? It's been 20 years. That movie's still pretty good. I, I love the Born movies and the theme song. Like when they end the movies. Oh, it's, him, it's like, Moby, like, baby. Yeah, Porcelain. Or not Porcelain. Uh, yeah. Moby's se- Separate Ways. That, that's the track. That's the track. Ex- Extreme Ways, I believe. Extreme Ways. Sorry. Yes. It's separate Ways is a journey song. Yeah. Um, I was watching basketball no. and I might have had a few glasses of wine. So I'm confusing my journey <laughs> with my Moby like an idiot. Number eight, Stuart Little 2. Number seven, Like Mike. Number six, Minority Report. Underrated action movie. Got Steven Spielberg directing the shit out of Tom Cruise when he's like a a police officer in the 2050s, 2060s, something like that. And uh, there's three people who are, they're called precogs, and they can see crimes before they happen. And then all of a sudden his name comes up by the precogs that he's going to commit a murder. So then it's like him against the police force. Good shit. Good movie. Number five, Lilo and Stitch. Number four, another comic book movie, Road to Perdition. Number three, Mr. Deeds. Number two, Austin Powers and Goldmember. And number one, Men in Black 2. Number one movie at the box office for July 2002. Again, Spider-Man came out earlier this year, broke all records. Just so we're sure where we are. You're already talking about the songs really fast because I think you're going to see a familiar song on this list. Oh, yeah. What, what are the songs? All right. Song number five was Foolish by Ashanti. Number four was Oh Boy by Cameron featuring Jules Santana. Number three was Hero by Chad Kroger featuring Josie Scott. song that song's got to be familiar right oh definitely of course it was on the spider-man soundtrack from the spider-man soundtrack i had the spider-man dvd later this year and i remember i had a pc i think i've told the story before but i don't tell it again because we got new listeners all the time uh i remember queuing up like the demo for the pc game that came with the spider-man dvd and then i made a playlist of just that song hero by chad kroger featuring josie scott from saliva which is a band no one remembers now, but seventh grade George really liked him. Um, queuing up a playlist that was just that song like 10 times in a row and then loading up the Spider-Man demo and try just like swigging around to the song Hero and just like trying to make it work and make like my own little music video with, with me swinging around in Spider-Man. <sighs> Glad I told that story. Now everyone knows how fucking cool I was back in 2002. Song number two on Billboard's Hot 100 is Without Me by Eminem. Let me be, let me be me, so let me see. They try to shut me down on MTV. 
TV, but it feels so empty without me. So come on and get come on your lips, jump back, jiggle a hip, and wiggle a bit, and get ready. Cause this is about to get heavy. I just And song number one is Hot in Here by Nelly. Pretty solid box office, pretty solid billboard. I went above and beyond this episode. I'm going to tell you the 10 best-selling games oh, of 2002. Okay. Oh, can I guess? Oh, fuck yeah. Hit me, buddy. 2002, best-selling games. What do you think okay. there? Okay, I just want to make I want to make one guess because yeah. there's a video game franchise that I really love that I grew up playing, and I believe the first game came out in 2002, and that's Kingdom Hearts 1. Is that on the best-selling list? That is number eight on the best-selling list. Fuck yeah, it is. Let's go. Let's go. That's my jam. I love those games. I still don't understand them. I was a really big GameCube kid in this era and a really big Xbox kid, and I'm pretty sure Kingdom Hearts only came to PlayStation 2. So I'm not yeah. the most familiar with it. I have like the, the remake on PlayStation 4. Haven't hit it yet. This summer feels like a good time to jump into it. So I'll 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 dive in. I'll let you know. Yeah, but, um, that was Kingdom Hearts 1 and Spider-Man 1, the game, uh, were my two favorite games when I was a kid. Like, I grew up playing those on the PlayStation 2. Well, motherfucker, um, Spider-Man was number 7 on oh, the let's best go. games of the year. Yeah, <laughs> Number 10, Super Mario Sunshine on GameCube. Great game. Amazing game. Number 9, Halo on the original Xbox. Number 8, Kingdom Hearts. Number 7, Spider-Man the Movie. Number six, Medal Honor Frontline. Sorry, Medal of Honor is what it should say, right? Yeah, it's not just called Medal Honor. Damn you, Wikipedia. Uh, man, that game, first-person shooter 2002, felt like a whole new era. Like, it was just like, oh, things are only going to get good from here on out. And they got better, for sure. Number five, Gran Turismo 3 A-Spec. Those car racing sims. I can't get into the sims, Carlos. I need a little more arcade. I need a little more fun with my cars. I don't want to sit there and... Oh, the muffler isn't giving me the uh, performance I need. Um, I'd much rather just, you know, throw a, a green turtle shell at someone and make them slip on a banana peel. Number four, Super Mario Advance 2 on Game Boy Advance. God, I love the Game Boy Advance. Number three, Madden NFL 2003. Number two, Grand Theft Auto 3. And number one, Grand Theft Auto Vice City. Wow. Wow. 2002, not bad. Um, post 9-11, New York City, not great. Uh, see, a big see something, say something era. Uh, stop and frisk, a lot of that shit going on. But besides that, <clears throat> the impending war in Iraq and Afghanistan, besides all that shit, besides geopolitics, oh man, 2002, what a year, right? What a year. I Yeah, it's like three years old. I remember it perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> Carlos, Spider-Man Blue with a cover date of July 9th, 2002. Talk to me about this book, man. Why do you love this book? Well, I think um, people love it because, first of all, the art is beautiful uh, mm -hmm. throughout. It's extremely consistent in voice and tone and art style, which is always a plus for any comic. Um, consistently beautiful throughout all issues. And it's just very... Um, 
I guess melancholy is that the right word? It's it's bittersweet. It, it hits you in the feels, but it also makes you feel like romantic at the same time, um, which I think is what a lot of the best Spider-Man stories make you feel. Sometimes, you know, I think that's definitely a feeling that you kind of get in the Raimi Spider-Man movies. Uh, so, you know, tying it back to whether or not it would be a good read. I mean, you know, that first Spider-Man movie. Uh, it might not mention Gwen Stacy, but it does have like Green Goblin holding his loved one over a bridge at one point. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. That is a extremely familiar scene. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it and it does end with him not getting the girl. So there's that like bittersweet aspect to that too. Um, bittersweet is just a good, you know, I think good vibe for a Spider-Man story. I think, and uh, yeah, I think this gets the characters. It you know really romanticizes the history which i think we all do as fans as well um and i think it's just a sweet touch story i think you know you can't go wrong with Loeb and sale on a colors book and mm. spider-man just makes everything better and yeah yeah i think i've told you this before i personally have a hard time revisiting a lot of the silver age stuff i think the art is great i just think every book is overridden and I, I get it, right? Because, like, relatively new medium, you want it to be kind of idiot-proof, right? And not, like, new medium, like, those comics that, like, combining words and pictures is nothing new. But I guess, like, the idea of serialized storytelling and, like, um, like it, uh, accounting for new readers every month, you have to, like, oh, and because of his amazing reflexes, he's able to jump out of the way. It's like, yeah, bitch, it's Spider-Man, we know, you know, but, like, they have to pretend it's someone's first comic every issue. And so because of that, I just get real sleepy every time I read Silver Age stuff. The only exception is probably like the old Silver Surfer book. I just got a, a real soft spot for Silver Surfer. So I think that's like the one time I'm like, I'm going to fight through this. But the Silver Age stuff, I have a hard time going back to, which is why these color books, I think, are excellent. Like, I think they are wonderful introductions to like, hey, this is not Spider-Man as he literally was in the 60s. This is not Hulk or Daredevil as they literally were in the 60s. But this is definitely the vibes of what they were. Like, if this is what it was on paper, like, if if someone read the book and had to explain it to a friend, this is more or less how they'd explain it, which would be different than, you know, they're not going to read, like, a panel-for-panel panel description the way some nerds do on their podcast. Whatever the fuck those people are. Um, but, like, it, it felt like someone catching someone else up on a story. And like you said, the art itself is so gorgeous. Tim Sale has like such a unique vision, I guess, of how these characters should exist. And I, I think the word you hit on is, is absolutely correct. It, it's just a melancholic view, right? Where there is this tinge of sadness of this era that's gone by and an era that's not nearly as innocent as as people remember because like, oh, it's the 60s. It's, it's swinging. Everything's hunky-dory. It's like, no, actually, Gwen Stacy fucking died. Like, George Stacy fucking died. Like, real people in the Spider-Man world, which are not real people, they're fictional characters, I understand <laughs> that. But I'm saying, like, people who are not heroes, people who are not the main characters, people who don't have the power to save themselves are are dying. You know, like, these, these characters who are formative experiences to the characters that we really care about, like Spider-Man, like, the people who make him Spider-Man, the people who make the book specific to Spider-Man, just dying off. Right. You got you got George Stacy, Gwen Stacy, you got Gene Wolfe, like all these characters that everyone like, oh, this is what makes this book special. This is what makes this book unique. They just fell victim to 
the horrendous things in Peter's life. And this book beautifully captures that. I, I cannot stress how gorgeous this book looks. And then like there, there are some panels where like MJ's looking at you or Gwen's like looking at you, right? Like her perspective is like directly at the reader. And it's just like, holy shit. Like this looks like, like it should have been a poster back in the sixties of like, you know, like why you should fly on, on Pan Am or something. Right. Like it was just like such like an exotic look, such a compelling look for these people. Yeah. Um, I guess um, I, what I like the most about what you said is how um, you kind of like look at it. Oh, I, don't forget, I don't remember your exact wording, but, you know, I think as fans and um, just in general in comics, when we talk about Gwen Stacy, uh, there's a tendency to look back on her that as as if she was more perfect than she actually was. Um, like when Gwen is first introduced in the Ditko issues, she's kind of she's kind of like an ice queen, like she's kind of like salty to Peter. Uh, um She's got a little bit more like sass to her, whereas, you know, I think when you think about Gwen, you kind of remember her as like the perfect girl that got away and it didn't work out. But there were there were ups and downs, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think uh, what you were saying just now about kind of romanticizing that and seeing it as more innocent, I think something that this book really captures and nails is that it looks back on the Ramita era as like the good old days. And you have this feeling of like, <laughs> you know to quote the office like you know sometimes like i wish there was a way to know that you were in the good old days like while you were in them or whatever you yeah know, like, yeah I, that, that Andy I, I quote know, is amazing yeah <laughs> yeah I, I probably got the quote wrong but you know what i mean um there's that feeling th this book captures that feeling like of nostalgia in a weird way um and uh and i just think it, that's a really compelling aspect about it um I, and then you were talking about the deaths of characters. I was going to nitpick about like Gene DeWolf dying in like the eighties, not the sixties. Uh, okay, you know, okay, 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 okay. <laughs> just talking about these these tertiary characters in the in the world, these secondary <laughs> characters that just like these people who make up the fabric of the book you're reading, and then all of a sudden they're just gone. And obviously, Gwen is more important than Gene. I'm not disputing that, but <laughs> no, no, it's okay. Uh, Carlos, if you don't mind my asking, how old are you? I'm 23. You're 23. All right. So you haven't really had a whole lot of time to be retrospective on your 20s yet. I'm 33 in July. I'm 32 right now, but it's it's, it's coming up. And uh, man, there's just so many times where like I'll go on on Twitter or or Facebook or Instagram or wh whatever social media app, and it's just like the the memories tab, right? And I see a, a post from like, that's just like an exchange between me and a buddy. And I'm just like, Oh, I remember that. Like it was yesterday and it wasn't yesterday, man. It was 16 fucking years ago. And I'm just like, Oh no, it's happening. <laughs> I'm getting older. And I think this book actually captures that aspect really well, because let's get into the book a little bit. The entire uh, premise, like the, uh, the conceit of this book is Peter is speaking into this old tape recorder, right? That was his uncle Ben's. And it's him reflecting on Gwen Stacy. And it's, I, I don't want to, I don't know if it's like the anniversary of her death. I can't remember that specific detail or anything, or if it was just him like looking for some kind of catharsis, but it's him narrating the past as he remembers it. And basically his first introduction to Gwen, the first time he felt like he had a chance to be with her. And then when things got complicated, when Mary Jane entered the picture and, and Flash Thompson and, and Harry Osborne, it was kind of like him becoming 
socially accepted by all these people that we now think of as permanent fixations, permanent fixtures in, in Peter's life. And fuck, man, as like a slightly older dude, not old, but like older than you, no offense, 23, but like, I'm just like, this is so fucking good. Like, this is probably like my favorite part of the book is just him, I guess, reflecting on when he felt like he started to like really have a life when he started to like really live. And it was like, yeah, I was kind of skidding by just doing X, Y, Z. But then I met these people, man. And let me tell you about these people. And that's the entire book. And I think that's probably its best strength. Yeah, I mean that's a good, that's a pretty solid synopsis uh, or, or summary of it because I mean it's Valentine's Day is the day where uh, Spidey is talking about Gwen. He says that every Valentine's Day he visits the bridge and like that's leaves a flower that's for her, um, which is painful. <laughs> it's just a painful quote, man. Um, but uh, but yeah, uh, I think it's really great how you put it, and I think it's such a clever way to look at the um the Ramita era because I mean this picks up and like I guess we're basically almost talking about issue one at this point yeah, but yeah. it really yeah like it really it starts off like right at the start of the Ramita era like uh Ditko did the first 38 issues of Amazing and then there's a shift because as soon as Ramita comes on board there's a shift and Ramita has talked about it in interviews that like at first he kind of tried to mimic Ditko's style but you know, he couldn't help himself. You know, it's Ramita. Like he had to like dive into his own style, his own work uh, flow. Um, and the book does change from Ditko to Ramita. And sometimes you go back and you read, because uh, because I go back and read the old stuff a lot. But there's there have been times during my rereads where I'm like I'm reading Ditko and then I get to Ramita and it's like oh that's like a there's a shift here. Uh, I need to get used to it. Um, but I think. Uh, uh, Loeb and Sale exploring that shift, like as a part of Peter's life, you know, and and getting like deep with it is so so great. Um, like you said, uh, it really is where his social life really took off a lot more because obviously, like Liz and Flash and Betty, like they were all in the in the Ditko stuff too. But you know, Flash and Harry and Gwen didn't really like like him in the Ditko stuff. But in the mm-hmm. Ramita stuff is when they get a lot friendlier, you know, et cetera he gets the motorcycle you know <laughs> and uh and i just really like how it, it's explored here it's really nice all right so we're talking about gwen stacy like gwen stacy formative person in peter's life and one of the most famous comic book stories of all time and you, you can call it problematic now if you want um but the night gwen stacy died which is amazing spider-man 121 to 122 and that was 1973-ish? Seven, yes. Okay. 73. Uh, <clears throat> that's something I was going to bring up later, is that it's the 50th anniversary of Gwen's death this year. Oh, um, fuck. Yeah, is, okay. Oh, we missed yeah, it. It's which is April, another it's, reason. It's April. Yeah, yeah we missed it. Yeah. Right, I mean, you know. For, for Valentine's Day. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We, we, we missed Peter dropping the, the, the flower on the bridge, I guess, is what we missed, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. If we if we had recorded this on Valentine's Day, that would have been even crazier. <laughs> uh, yeah. If only someone planned this podcast out a little bit better. Uh, <laughs> so, Gwen Stacy dies 121, 122, and they're actually kind of 
hinting around that now in the current Spider-Man run? Like, isn't there like an homage cover coming up with like, we know someone's going to die. We don't know who's going to die. I think it's for July, right? Is uh, May. In, this, in May. Okay. Oof. God, I need to talk yeah. to my shop and make sure I get those issues as close to release as I can. But uh, yeah, we, we saw like an homage cover. So this feels oddly relevant to be talking about this now. Like besides talking about like where Marvel was before everything changed with, with House of M. And, but like just, yeah, everything is cyclical. <laughs> it's it's going to come back. It's going to come back. And um, are you excited? Sorry, taking a break from Spider-Man Blue. Are are you excited about about this uh, this upcoming oh, reckoning yes. of, of what's going to happen? Okay, absolutely. I mean, I'll never not be excited about a Spider Man book drawn by John Romita Jr. And I am a big fan of Zeb Wells, as you can probably tell, because we did an entire podcast on one of his many series. <laughs> uh, I was in a space the other night, and I got cooked for saying how much I like this current run of Amazing Spider Man. And I can yeah, tell you know, uh, it tells a bunch of like young kids who just like have never read a bad Spider-Man book. You know, like they only just like read. Oh, here are the ten best ones. They're like, oh, this is what I like about the character. I'm like, well, that's not what fucking happens with a monthly book. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, sometimes like there's ups and downs. And uh, oh, you don't like how Sp- Peter's acting right now? Well, guess what? It's a comic book. It's one. It's fake. So don't get too mad at a fictional character. Two. Um, it's probably going to go back to some kind of normal soonish because that's just the nature of comics. Like, I don't know what to tell you. So. Just enjoy the weird yeah. semi heel turn while it's happening because I think it's a lot of fun to see Peter kind of be a dick and like have people not trust him. Like, okay, this is different. Like, this feels like a good change of pace. Ugh, comic fans, man, they're so fickle. Well, it's it, you know, it's it's tough because you know you get into comics and and you read all this other stuff that's come before and you can read it all like all at once and it's like in a trade and you don't have to deal with the cliffhangers or whatever. Um, but, you know, keeping up with like an ongoing series, it's a very different experience. And I think uh, I think what we see happen a lot is that a story will come out, people will feel mixed on it, it'll be controversial at the time, but then like a few years down the line, you'll revisit it with like a clear head on your shoulders and you'll like read it all at once and be like, oh, this is actually a great story. I just couldn't appreciate it at the time because you know, it was like once a month or twice a week and like the cliffhangers, I was, I didn't know where it was going. I didn't see the big picture, but then once you see the big picture and the consequences and everything, you're like, oh, this is great. And talking about the death of Gwen Stacy, I mean, if you read the fan letters in the Conway run, people were so angry about the death of Gwen (laughs) Stacy, like so, so angry. That was the original like superior Spider-Man moment. Like, you know, Back back in like 2012, like Dan Slott got all the these like death threats for Superior Spider-Man. I mean, you should read the fan letters for the death of Gwen Stacy. It's crazy. People were not happy, but guess what? 50 years later, we're still celebrating it. It's one of the greatest stories in comics, just period. Um, so yeah, you know, I think it's like everything with the benefit of hindsight, like changes over time. And you know, People might be a little controversial about the current run, but I think even now we're seeing people be like, oh, actually, now that I see the big picture on what they were setting up back then, I'm actually starting to appreciate it more because, you know, they did that whole mystery box thing. Right. Um, Hey, this is is why let them cook is an expression. You can't judge a meal while someone's in the middle of cooking it. You know, got to let them set the fucking table. And uh, I feel like Zeb Wells is setting the table for something kind of special and John Romita Jr. drawing the shit out of it. So pretty happy about that anyways spider-man blue sorry about that 
yeah. a quick <laughs> a quick summary of the first issue. Peter fights the Green Goblin, who gets amnesic during the fight and protects his dignity when he saves him from a fire. Visiting Norman at the hospital to get photos, he befriends classmate Norman, uh, who is... Uh, sorry, he befriends classmate Harry, who's Norman's son, and he sees Gwen for the first time. He buys a motorcycle to impress Gwen and misses out on meeting Mary Jane. So a super simple summary of the first issue. We're trying something different at Shortbox Summary. I think there's a, two quotes that like really sort of like brought this issue together. First one actually is on the first page, and it's Peter talking to himself while he's swinging. He says, you see, I've come to believe that things have to get really, really bad before they can get good. Not even really, really good, although I wouldn't mind some of that. I guess when you look at the way my life turned out so far, it's about the only way you can look at it. Good follows bad. Kind of amazing. Yeah. And we, we've talked about the Parker luck, but like the, the Parker outlook. That probably needs more discussion than than we've given it so far on this podcast. Is this the most complete summary of Peter Parker? Like not the most That's, complete, the most concise summary of Peter Parker. Yeah, I mean, maybe the most concise uh, summary of like the patterns of his life. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm glad that you brought up this quote on the first page because literally I took note of it too. Because that's it had been a while since I had revisited Spider-Man Blue, and so when I started reading again, I was like, let's see if it holds up. And I literally read the first page, and I was like. Oh yeah, they got it. <laughs> like this is this is the character. Good follows bad. Things have to get bad before they get good. I mean, that's 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 all. That's the entire character right there. You know, mm -hmm. um, it's a perfect quote. Uh, it's perfect for like again, like an older Peter looking at his life in hindsight. Um, like it's it's so great, it's so great. Absolutely love that quote for Peter. Uh, um, and again, you know not to focus too much on the current comics or whatever, but you know, sometimes fans get upset when things don't go well for Peter. It's not going to be terrible all the time. It's also not going to be good all the time, but he does have to go through the lows to make the good parts feel even better. You know, the, the good can't just stay good. It has to come from the, the struggle, the real Spider-Man uh, always struggles or whatever that quote is from amazing Spider-Man 150. Right. Yeah. <laughs> My big thing with Peter, and this is like talking about modern comics right now. So again, sorry, but it's like, I think the dude can go through adversity without having a shitty credit score. Like, I, like I'm kind of just like tired of, <laughs> of that story, you know, where it's like this current run begins where it's like, there's an actual like, collection agent trying to like get like medical bills from him i'm like like i understand he's like you know life is kicking him while he's down i get all that but like i just i feel like we've heard this song so many times where i'm like okay man like i fixed my credit score and that was fucking arduous as hell but like i did it you i believe in you peter you got this man like you you can do it you could probably even get like a used car or like a small loan for for whatever like you could probably figure it out like i believe in you that's my only like issue with with modern day peter is like i don't want him to like try to get a new cell phone and like get denied because he has you know 480 or something <laughs> on, on his credit score like that seems shitty there's one more quote early in the book where he's revisiting the bridge where gwen died and he says it's about remembering someone who was so important to me. I was going to spend the rest of my life with her. I didn't know that meant she would only get to spend the rest of her life with me. And so the same way we talked about like the good following the bad. I think this captures the other side of the Peter Parker coin. Right. Where it's just the inherent guilt 
this man carries with him at all times. Is that too much for you? Is the amount of guilt that Peter carries on his shoulders as a fan? You're the biggest Spider-Man fan I know. That's why anytime there's a big Spider-Man story, like I'm going to ask you if you want to come on and talk about it. Spider-Man House of M. We cool? We want to talk about that? We we got future future episode plans for Spider-Man House of M? Perhaps. I mean, yeah. it would fit the Gwen Stacy theme. It sure, sure shit would. Uh, is 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 this too much? He carries around the weight of of Uncle Ben at all times. He carries around the the weight of Gwen at all times. Is this part of the Gwen weight? Is it is it too much? How are we feeling? Well, for me, it's fine. Um, like I think that's cool. I think it's all right. I mean, the guilt and the tragedy aspects are part of the character, you know. Um, so. You know, we're going to touch on that ground a lot, similar to how we touch on, you know, him struggling to pay rent a lot. Uh, (laughs) um, But but it is interesting, like when you think about it in the context of like, by the end of this story, we see that he's, you know, this is a Peter that is older and married to MJ. And even at that point in life, he is still revisiting that bridge every year and still feeling bad about it. I mean, you know that you know that's that's a that's an interesting you know character uh little i wouldn't say flaw but it's like uh you know that's a it's a it's a trait for sure yeah, <laughs> i mean yeah, um, yeah but it's you know i think it is part of the character so i'm okay with it uh like not every story has to touch on his guilt all the time there's plenty of stories that also say like well it you know it's not about the guilt anymore it's just about this but they still shaped him um so you know it's it's important um and i think in this story it just uh it's just written so well like that line that you quoted is just beautiful mm-hmm. i think that's such beautiful like narration um so as long as you stick the landing i don't see why not you know <laughs> god god bless that attitude man yeah like if you're entertained for even half a second like you could probably call it a success and like i absolutely was so, yeah, so, so uh, like yes it is good yeah like uh i, I think uh, another like uh take i see a lot on the internet these days is like when a story like you know brings back a character that wasn't around anymore and people are like oh that takes away the weight of the 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 other story and it's like i don't know like do you read that story and do you still like feel shit because if so like that story is still good like that like one story later on doesn't affect the fact that you enjoyed the hell out of that other story up until this point like you know bro people were so pissed when they brought bucky back and people were so <laughs> pissed when they brought Jason Todd back. They were fucking furious. Honestly, it was under the Red Hood, the animated movie, was when people were like, this is the best Batman story, best animated Batman story I've ever seen. This is fucking incredible. This is one of my favorite Batman stories. I'm like, fuck you. I was there. I remember reading Wizard Magazine. I remember reading the comment, like the, the message boards. We're reading the comments at IGN. You guys were so fucking pissed that Jason Todd came back from the dead. You guys were furious and beside yourself that that Bucky came back. So I don't want to hear anything from anyone whenever they complain about anything. Because one, it's comics, it's fiction, it's supposed to be fun, it's supposed to be weird, it's supposed to be dangerous and unbelievable. That's fantastic. Like that. That's why we're here, man. Because we want to see cool, weird shit. And two, like, if, if they can tell an emotional story by doing something that can't be done in real life, then, like, great. 
again, that's why we're here. <laughs> and like you said, yeah. the, the original story is always going to be there and it doesn't diminish the impact of it. It's like, oh, Barry Allen came back. So his sacrifice in Crisis on Infinite Earths doesn't mean as much. Actually, it fucking does. Like, read the book, man. Like, it was pretty impactful seeing him turn to a goddamn skeleton within his costume running around that giant gravity gun or whatever the animonitor was doing. Like, all this stuff, like, matters in its own context like it doesn't like oh 40 years later something happens like well fucking 40 years of waiting so yeah the the original stories are always there and your journey with those stories it happened you know it's not like it it's not like that gets retconned (laughs) like your life experience doesn't get retconned because of the story right (laughs) sorry but um spitting dude yeah. yeah you got it um but yeah, you know, it's like Star Wars, like the original trilogy is always there. If you don't like anything else, like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, watch another movie, I guess. I don't know what to tell you. Um, Spider-Man Blue number two with a cover date of August 9, 2002. A mysterious figure plots the downfall of Spider-Man. Peter struggles to get paid by J.J. on Jameson. A lab assignment with Gwen Stacy gives Peter an idea of how to break down the suit that protects the rhino, a rampaging villain cutting through New York at this very moment. And a quick trip to Dr. Kurt Connors makes that plan a reality. And he finally meets MJ in the doorway of his Aunt May's house. This might be my favorite issue. And again, like, I'm probably bringing too much of my own shit into it. This felt like the the least guilt-induced episode of, of the story so far. It's our issue of the story so far. And I think it is because this is, like, when he has, like, his first connection with Gwen. And so he's just, like, personally, like, happier to remember, like, that that little chem assignment he had with her, whatever, right when they were lab partners. And she talks about like, Oh, the polymers and all this. I didn't take very specific notes, but like, this seemed like the happiest issue of, of the six, if I had to guess, and the most like optimistic and upbeat. Would you see that? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a good one for sure. Um, um, My note on this one and there was notes about the other issue I also want to bring up again later. But um, this, uh, my one note for this is that the timeline doesn't line up with the original comics totally. Uh, wow. And this is a, yeah. Bring, bring it on, baby. Be a fucking nerd. Hit me, Carlos. What, yeah. what, what, so, what did they get wrong? So my nerd note is that he actually met MJ before he defeated the Rhino with the Kurt Connors. It's like stuff like in the original comics, he actually met her before all all that happened uh whereas here like he does all that and then he meets her not necessarily how it actually went down but anyway that was my one note for this issue that just had to be a nerd about it and there's more of those coming in the later issues <laughs> gotcha gotcha while we're here though is there a sexier line in comics than face a tiger you hit the jackpot no <laughs> no like that's just that's just like hot right like i i don't mean to be like weird about it i don't mean to be g- gross on, on my own podcast but like that's just like such a sexy fucking cool line to say it's definitely conceited definitely arrogant but like i feel like if you look like mj you could probably pull it off you know it's all it's just so iconic like what a way to introduce yourself number one number two it's like it's just the mj quote uh fun fact I don't know if you've ever seen the cartoon Spectacular Spider-Man. Um, yeah, that's like my favorite cartoon ever. Uh, but uh, the the writers and producers of that show actually had to fight to get that line in there in the show because uh, I think like 
the the studio was like why are we putting this in here like it's a kid's show i don't know it's weird but but the the creatives were like we have to put the line in there this is the fucking line this is like there is no other line this is the line yeah (laughs) so yeah no it's it's so great it's so good and tim sale again just knocks out of the park this issue so I don't think is the exact quote in Amazing Fantasy fifteen. Is it with great power comes great responsibility? Is that the exact Uncle Ben quote? No, no. Well, in Amazing Fantasy fifteen, it's just the narration that says it, and okay. it says with great power there must also, also come, come great responsibility. Great okay. responsibility. All right. Yeah. Um, then just like truncating it with great power comes great responsibility, or face a tiger, you just hit the jackpot. <laughs> the great power line is probably number one. But there's an argument that, like, no, real fans know that the 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 number one line is face a tiger, you get the jackpot. The the real number one quote is the whip. Let's be. Let's whip. be <laughs> <laughs> that was in my I made a, a video essay to get into like the advertising program I got into, and I just stole a whole bunch of footage of James Lipton interviewing people on inside the actor studio. And then I just like cut in my answers to the questions he was asking. And he said, what is your favorite word? And my word was thwip. And I was like, that's the sound effect that uh, Spider-Man makes <laughs> in the comics. And uh, yeah, yeah, I, I got into school for that. Is great day. Great fucking day. Thanks, Spider-Man. You do everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is this introspective quote that Peter has in this issue where he says, you see, this was the so-called comedy of my life. I wanted a date with a girl like Gwen, but didn't have the money. I could get the money, but only if I took some photos of the rhino beating the snot out of me. And so this is him uh, talking to Jonah, struggling to get paid in advance because he has a plan. And uh, him realizing like the, the fucking irony of, of Peter Parker being like, yeah, yeah, the only way to really get paid is to, like put myself in it. And that's exactly yeah. what he does throughout this issue as he gets the absolute shit kicked out of him by rhino. Yeah, I mean this 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 story, the series, all these issues, they just they really get Peter. There's a quote later on in one of the later issues I really want to touch on. I'll try not to spoil it already, but um <laughs> and and what you just said about like the irony of that, it's 10 out of 10. I also like how when he's talking to Gwen in like the lab, he's like he's kind of like saying that he wasn't the smoothest like he kind of like fumbled his way into getting with Gwen <laughs> and that's so Peter Parker um mm-hmm. and in and then the first issue has another quote I want to bring up Please, where yeah. he he talks about this Uncle Ben quote that Uncle Ben said and I, I think I wrote it down that he says that youth is wasted on the wrong people yeah man that that one really hit me. I was like, man, that's so great because again, like I keep saying that like this series just gets everything about Spidey and it's getting the irony, the tragedy, it's getting the youth as well. And and there is like that element of like the the youth theme in that first issue as well. And again, kind of this whole series, since it's like looking back on his early days, it kind of has that vibe of like exploring his youth again, the youth of his friends. And I love also this Jameson quote where he says, good kid, there's an oxymoron if I ever heard one. <laughs> yeah. like a, that is such a Jameson quote. Like, it's just perfect. Yeah, he's um, such a piece of shit. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> so, yeah, like these issues are fantastic. And to touch on the art a little more, there's, I think, the beginning of Blue number two 
is this spread with Tim Sale of of Peter like upside down reading the newspaper? It's just so beautiful. Like it just looks so. Oh good. yeah, no, it's it's him at like this like corner like a uh, like magazine vendor, and uh, he's like looking at the paper and he's just like, dude, it's gonna like you gotta pay. You can't just like read it. He's like, even if I'm on the cover, he's like, even if you're on the fucking cover. And then that mysterious figure we talked about, uh, he shows up and the guy's like, hey, that's gonna be a quarter. And then this guy just like beats the shit out of the <laughs> the salesman basically like threatens him he's like you can just have it it's fine i don't need your quarter uh yeah that is probably probably like one of the more beautiful two-page sequences in this book which is like really saying something but just like the the, the casualness i guess of spidey being like this weird the way tim sale draws the anatomy is so imperfect that it's beautiful right like you see a foot and it's like there's no possible way a human foot should be in that position. But it just makes sense in the context of Tim Sale's art. And there's just like all this wonderful asymmetry in the way he draws like a, a, a human figure, especially someone like Spider-Man. And it's it's just, it feels perfect. Like there, there's so many pages in this book where I'm like, oh, I'd have a poster of that. Oh, I'd have a poster of that. Oh, that should be my phone background. Oh, I'd have a poster of that. Like. I can't stress enough how critical Tim Sale is, I think, to selling this story, not to not to Marvel, but like to the reader, right, where that that innocence is captured so perfectly, but the modernity of it all is omnipresent in every single page. You never feel like you're reading a book from the 60s, but you absolutely feel like you're reading a hd revisit of the 60s of the 70s you know like i, I just think that balance is so precarious and and tim sale struck it so well yeah i think you hit the nail on the head with like the innocence and how he kind of captures that with like the simplicity of his style and i'm a sucker for those like simple styles uh because marcos martin is one of my favorite spidey artists and mm. i feel like this kind of carries those same kind of the principles i guess in like the design and the art style it's it's so simple and perfect i just love it perfectly imperfect i guess you could say but perfect to me yeah. <laughs> anyway spider-man blue number three with a cover date of september 9 2002 peter introduces mj to a small gang of friends and flash they're amazed a woman so beautiful and vivacious knows pete and gwen is seemingly jealous the lizard reappears after helping Pete work out a way to beat the rhino and a fight at the Penn Station subway terminals leads to the lizard meeting the mysterious man who's been plotting against Spider-Man since issue one. Spidey manages to ditch Mary Jane casually and helps convert the lizard back into Connors before his family sees him as a monster. Harry invites Peter to move in with him in the city, asks if he can pursue Mary Jane and tells Peter that Gwen has been eyeing him up. I feel like I'm going to say this for every issue for the rest of the series now, and I feel bad. Maybe this is the best issue of the series. Maybe it's <laughs> maybe it's this one. Because just like reading that summer, I'm like, oh, fuck. Yeah, this was actually like really good. The fact that Peter cares so much. And so like we talked about it at the top of the, the series, but like Peter protecting the dignity of people in his life, I think is incredibly cool and incredibly unique to peter parker the way he rescued green goblin who was like trying to kill him knew he was peter parker was trying to kill him and then it was seemingly amnesic and then like the the building was burning down because of a, a pumpkin bomb or whatever that green goblin threw and then he managed to save norman osborne and like protect him 
and like didn't rat him out as being the Green Goblin. Didn't say he was responsible for all that stuff. And of course, Peter Parker guilt. If he had done that, he might not have been around to kill Gwen Stacy when he did, you know. So that feeds into it here. Uh, Kirk Connors exposed himself, at least according to Peter, exposed himself to some materials that might have turned him back into the lizard in an effort to stop the rhino. We, I don't think that's inherently true. I think the mysterious man who we're alluding to might've been responsible because it, it certainly seems like it in later issues, but no matter what, he didn't want Dr. Kirk Connors, who he knew to be a good man, didn't want his family to see him as the lizard, didn't want to see him as this monster. And so like the real time crunch in this issue isn't even him trying to like, you know, get back in time for a date with Mary Jane or get back in time to like meet up with Gwen. It's to stop Kirk Connors from being monstrous in front of his family. Like that's the most important thing to Peter, just trying to preserve this man's dignity, which is fucking beautiful, right? <laughs> just like that that's like the most important thing to him in this moment when he's fighting a giant lizard in a sewer and that's all he can care about. It's so good. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the strong suits of Spider-Man as a character is like his kind-heartedness, his empathy. Um, he's, you know, he's got a little bit of naivete in there, but uh, he's got like this hope also. And I just think, you know, yeah, I mean, it's, he's a beautiful character, this Spider-Man guy. It's almost like I'm a fan of him or something. I don't know. I just, I really like, <laughs> um, I really like this character for some reason. Yeah, he's, he's yeah. got it going on, man. He's got it going on. Uh, uh Sorry, I got one quote I want to share with you just because I think this is where the story itself, like not even the story, where the conceit of the story starts to make more sense. But it's Peter uh, talking to himself over the tape where he says, because you really can't tell a story of how Gwen Stacy and I fell in love without talking about Mary Jane Watson. And so acknowledging his current wife in the importance of falling in love with someone else, I think it's just like, honestly, a really brave thing to say. Like just, just from like the... Uh, take out the spider-man take out him fighting the lizard take out him fighting the rat i think him admitting that is like incredibly powerful and like the kind of shit that like normally like a therapist would say to you but the fact that he's able to you know see it in himself and acknowledge that i think is really brave i think that's really powerful oh yeah i mean it, it just it looks at the relationships in like a very like real relatable way and you know i think that's part of the reason why people get so attached to these like relationships in peter's life um is because you know they're they're very like honest in a way and well maybe honest is the wrong word because he does lie to them and you know have a secret identity and all that but you know what i mean like Ta tangible uh, right very, yeah like, like yeah like they feel real because like We've been in situations, not where we're lying to our loved ones about where we're going. We're like, oh, yeah, sorry, I'm not feeling well. That's like, really, I'm fighting the shocker. Not like that, but just like, I don't know, I guess just like being honest about feelings. It, it's hard to do, like even even as like a 32 year old, you know, it's hard for me to keep certain things in check when I'm talking to people I care about because I care about them. So I don't want to say certain things, even if it's like how I really feel. But like, I don't know, I'm not going to give shit to like family members even though i want to give them shit because they're my family you know <laughs> so the fact that he's able to be so introspective and be so forthright i think is um maybe an underrated part of the story because i i read a couple of reviews about this and i don't think i saw that come up but just like his emotional honesty i guess throughout this entire thing i, I read parts where like they were like it's awkward i'm like no it's i mean yeah i guess it's kind of awkward but like the, no one ever commented about how courageous it was 
yeah, I think there's like a sincerity to it, which is really um, appealing, I guess, or that's yeah. a re- that's a really good word. I should have said that instead of rambling for the last two minutes. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> You're good. Um, while we're talking about this issue, I actually have a couple notes on this issue, and I'm and I'm I'm really happy that you didn't bring it up because I can contribute something. Uh... <laughs> Buddy, would, wouldn't have an episode without you. You've done nothing but contribute. But please, is this like spider nerd notes? Is this you like coming off this... the top coming off the top rope to to beat us in the head with with some facts? This is a really cool, like fun spider nerd note. Um, and it's that uh, the third to last page of this issue, we see Peter, you know, the the Kirk, uh, Billy and Martha Connors that come in and they see, you know, Kurt and everything's nice. And, and, and then Peter swings away, right? I'm yeah. showing you the page right here. Yeah. And then Peter swings away on the window, right? Yeah. So that panel is actually like a compositional like homage to the actual panel in amazing spider-man 45 oh no shit the original comic uh because this story this lizard story is in amazing spider-man 45 by the ramita and in amazing spider-man 45 that panel of him swinging out the window it the the dialogue bubbles are left blank there's there's blank dialogue bubbles that stanley left in that issue for like the reader to make up what kurt is saying at the end as spidey swings away uh but in spider-man blue we actually do get the uh filled out uh text bubbles which i think is really nice i have those quotes written down because i thought this was like a really key moment too uh kurt connors and his uh kurt connors wife and uh son to each other uh, I wish there was some way to repay him for all the help. What could we do, Mom? Somebody like Spider-Man has it all. I just thought that was wow. like really, really cute. And also, it's like, oh, kid, like fucking buckle up, my guy. <laughs> yeah, if only you knew. <laughs> can you do me a favor? Can you send me uh, both those panels so I can share it out when this episode goes live? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I'll send it to you right now. Cool, cool. Thank you. Yeah, so uh, that was my one big note on this issue. I, I love that we get to see that panel, but with the filled out text bubbles. Um, and then I had another note uh, just saying that I love this one part of the issue uh, where, again, touching on me, like just fangirling over how much of this series gets Peter. There's a part where uh, Peter swings away and it says, uh, so I did what I always do when faced with a personal problem. I go web slinging (laughs) and that just is touching on, you know, you know, I think uh, people have talked about this a lot, like when Peter's life is going bad, Spider-Man is going good. When Spider-Man is going, you know, there's that duality. Um, Sometimes, sometimes being Spider-Man sucks and he just wants to be Peter, but sometimes he just wants to get away from being Peter and go for a swing. And there's that escapism of him being Spider-Man swinging around and, that's another aspect of the character that they managed to work into this little mini series that I think is great. Um, yeah. Anyway, anyway, there's also a great MJ quote in here where she says, I've got no needs tiger as you're sure to find out where MJ goes, the party goes. She was like such a fucking good ride or die in this issue because mm-hmm. they like, uh, you know, he takes her for a ride on the, the motorcycle that he gets and uh, they go to like the police line and He's telling her like, "Oh, I got to go take photos for of this for the paper." But really, he's just trying to like get closer to to Doctor Connors and like not try to like ruin his relationship and tell MJ that he's Spider Man like right off the bat. And the fact that she like goes in and like distracts the cop 
Like she's just so like she's so fucking cool. She's just gung ho for like anything, right? She's just like, oh, this is gonna be wild. This is gonna be a trip. Let's do this, baby. Let's light this firecracker. And it's just like, oh fuck, that's like a lot to handle. <laughs> like I've known people like that. I'm like, oh, you're so much fun on like a Friday and a Saturday, but like, dude, on a Monday, like I have assignments I need to do for college. Like I've got some readings I need to complete. I can't just like go to some random house party on a Monday. And I feel like MJ knows where every house party is every single day of the week. <laughs> you know, yeah. When I picture contemporary MJ, like, yeah, she, she, she's out. She always knows the move. <laughs> <laughs> she, um, but I'm glad you brought up that scene where she like distracts the police officer um, because that felt like foreshadowing to like their eventual relationship in like the nineties were like, she knows the secret identity. He knows that she knows they're kind of like a duo, like a, that dynamic duo. And she's keeping the secret also. And, mm-hmm. and her distracting the officer so that he could go in there. I mean, that just feels like something out of like web of Spider-Man. Like I could just picture like an Alex Saviak issue of like MJ, like hiding Peter's costume, like from people that are in their house or whatever. Um, that and even like to make it more relevant to our show, like we talked about, um, when Spider-Man joins the new Avengers, doesn't MJ like kind of pretend to have an affair with, with Tony Stark to like keep attention off of Peter for something? Cause like, this is like around the time of the other, like a little bit, this is directly before the other, but it's like that goes on. And uh, yeah, in, in that series, she's another great ride or die. I might be mis misrepresenting the the in, intention of that scene, but like you see MJ going into Stark Tower late at night, and it's just like, oh, it's an affair, blah blah blah. The actress Mary Jane with billionaire Tony Stark, but she like does something in that story. I'm vaguely remembered. I should go back and listen to my own podcast, Carlos. Is what I should do. <laughs> That's what I'm learning right now. Yeah, I don't know if I vaguely remember it or if it's like a like one of those things where like you tell me it and I'm like, Oh yeah, now I remember that. (laughs) But, but, but I do know, like, of course, like the scene that I really actually do remember is yeah. Like her going into the building and getting caught by paparazzi and then them making up like, Oh, she's having an affair. I don't a hundred percent remember her like playing into it, but that doesn't like surprise me, but yeah. 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 Again, but yeah, I mean, I'm probably, I'm probably misrepresenting my own podcast, which is what every good podcast host does, especially uh, almost 50, 50 episodes in. Uh, you're good. You're good. Spider-Man Blue number four, with the cover date of October 9, 2002. Peter tells Aunt May about moving in with Harry. And Aunt May moves in with MJ's Aunt Anna. Adrian Toomes dies in prison and shares with an inmate the location of a spare vulture suit he'd hidden out in the world. The new vulture, man named Blackie Drago, manages to attack Peter and nearly kill him just as he's supposed to be arriving to a welcome party at his new apartment in the city. Mm-hmm. Bummer issue, if I'm being completely honest. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I I didn't like seeing him. Just like seeing like the second generation Vulture. Is this the first time we've seen like a, a main Spider-Man rogues villain have like a, a, a second incarnation? um is it yeah i want to say yes um i'm trying to think back but i want to say yes i mean uh, that makes sense because adrian tombs is ten thousand years old so that makes that makes sense 
but but Tombs doesn't die. But he doesn't die. You know. He is he's uh, he seems like he's having a heart attack. Seems like he's being poisoned. In the next issue, we find out he's not. He's not dying. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, for yeah, all yeah. intents and purposes, he died. I'm trying to tell a story about the story that they're trying to tell. Setting the mood, <laughs> trying to be romantic. I'm ruining and mysterious it. About it. Sk- it's I'm, okay. I'm skipping the foreplay. I'm, it's, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> one Blackie Drago. Probably the last time you could ever call someone Blackie in a story, right? <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> right? Probably. Like, pro- hopefully, right? Uh, hopefully, hopefully, yeah. yeah. Especially a man that white. Probably the last time you could get away with calling someone Blackie. Um, besides that, though, man, it, brutal seeing him get the shit kicked out of him like that. Like, especially Tim Sale did such a good job because he barely showed the vulture interacting with Peter. Peter was like swinging back towards the party that he was invited to and he was so excited because Gwen was going to be there MJ was going to be there Flash was going to be there Harry was going to be there he's going to get to see his new apartment and he was thrilled but then you just see like these little like silhouettes of the wings basically like cutting his his webbing line and it just seemed like like the closest equivalent that just like jumps to mind immediately is like in The Dark Knight Rises where you know Michael Caine is like look at him the speed the ferocity when he's talking about like the footage of Bane and it just seemed like, oh, dude, I don't know how Peter's going to beat this guy. Like, it, it did, like, a really good job of, like, selling, I guess, the threat of, of this new Adrian Toomes, uh, Blackie Drago, whatever. This this new vulture uh, did a mm-hmm. really good job of selling, like, the immediate danger of this this new character. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, definitely. I, I love me a good vulture action scene. Um uh, I do have a, a nerd note about uh... <laughs> hit, hit me, yeah, hit me with a nerd note. Okay, so this is this is where the timeline kind of breaks with canon a little more uh, okay. because in the in the Rhino story, it's like okay, like whatever. MJ met him before, after whatever. It's still kind of like in the same arc. Um, but this Blackie Drago Vulture story, it, it's actually like after the farewell flash party in the canon um so you know this just is broken like if you want to be canonical about it obviously it's not trying to be 100 percent accurate you know this is very new reader friendly mm-hmm. and i don't think i don't think they wrote it thinking well we better not mess up the timeline or else this guy named carlos is gonna you know nitpick us in a podcast 20 years from now uh, so <laughs> like it's it's not a negative it's just a you know just pointing out that um technically this isn't supposed to happen yet but gotcha. you know we'll let it slide we'll let it slide do you do you care about that like not even no. like for not even, <laughs> not not for even for this but like do you care about continuity errors generally uh not entirely no i i I guess it's like a case by case basis if it's like something really massive but i really don't i feel like nine out of ten times continuity errors are kind of small you know or 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 a lot of the times it's like a new writer adding new lore and like accidentally retconning like some old forgotten lore that people weren't really talking about anyway you know so Mm -hmm. it's like you know it's okay it's all right it do, it it's really doesn't it, yeah it really doesn't bother me that much either like there's some things from like well this character was dead during this time period but if you're going to tell me that like oh this person was like actually operating behind the scenes you know like like the way like winter soldier right or, or whatever like 
what we were talking about earlier, but people were fucking mad that they forget how mad they were about it, and it pisses me off that they act like they weren't mad about it, and now Bucky's their favorite character. Fucking assholes. Um, like, that's, like, one thing. Like, I I just don't care. Like, it's one of those things where I'm like, I'm not gonna be mad at these people for telling a story 60 years after the original creative team introduced characters. Like, it's cool enough that they're talking about things that happened 60 years ago that I'm not gonna hang them you know, by the fact that they messed up, like, oh, well, actually, like, the 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 welcome party was on a Friday, and they said it was Tuesday. It's like, shut the fuck up, nerd. <laughs> like, th- that's, like, the last thing I want to hear from people, to be completely honest. No, yeah, like, I mean, yeah, number one, it's tough to weave through 60 years of continuity, uh, so many thousands of issues, you know. Uh, it's hard to weave through that and tell a story in the past already on its own. Number two, like they're doing an amazing job. This is an amazing story. And you're still getting like these retellings of these stories. Like this all takes place. Like you can go back to the Ramita books and read issue 40 to like 48. And you'll get everything that you're reading in here. You know, with slightly like one issue takes place in, after the other, basically, or whatever. Yeah. But you're still getting like the Blackie Drago story, the the Craven farewell party story. Like you're getting the Rhino, the, you hit the jackpot. Like it's all in there. Like mm-hmm. this is great. Like this is a great way to like weave together old, old continuity and like a streamlined, emotional, successful way. Uh, it's 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 great. It's great. I just had to be a nerd. <laughs> no, please. That's, that's why we have you on here is to be a nerd. I got two quotes that I pulled from this issue. First one was like kind of towards the beginning. And it was when Peter was talking to, to Aunt May and it, he was like reflecting on that conversation. And he says to himself while he's recording, he says, I never, ever thought I would be burying you before her. It's just not the way life is supposed to work. But then again, my life hasn't ever worked out the way it's supposed to. Bad before good, remember? And losing you, Gwen, was beyond bad. It was the worst thing that ever happened to me. Even my Uncle Ben would understand how I could say that. Again, the emotional honesty of Peter. Just like, A, wearing his heart on his sleeve. And not pulling any punches about how he's feeling. And so, like again, like continuity is fickle at best. I think it really only matters in the story you're reading, to be completely honest. But like for him to admit that this was worse than Uncle Ben is I, I think extremely powerful and it, it's, it was nice having that like committed like if that's like you know like the hot take if that's like the Stephen A. Smith hot take of, of Peter Parker in this story like I I, I love it I, I love him admitting that wow yeah it's interesting it's interesting for sure do you think he do you think he means that I think he means it in the story for sure. There it is. Okay. That's the rule of continuity, baby. Continuity only matters in the story you're reading. There we go. Uh, Yeah. I mean, it's hard to even like in real life, like you can't compare like pain, you know? And it's like, I'm not going to say like what death mattered more, you know I mean? But they're both obviously like cornerstones. Oh no, Um, no, sorry. Not, not in that regard, but I guess just like the amount of times that like he brings up uncle Ben in the year sense versus the amount of times he brings up Gwen in the year sense. Also like about these continuity errors that we were talking about. Do you think also part of it was like, it was 2002 and they were just like, there's no easy way to read these old issues unless you actually have them. So we can just kind of play a little faster and loser. Like this was, this was before Marvel limited. This was, Basically, it was just like the Marvel Essentials line was like covering the Silver Age stuff and like the the mighty Marvel Masterworks, right? Which were 
fucking prohibitively expensive at this time. Like they were 50 bucks. They had 10 issues, maybe eight at this point. And they were over like the books were oversized, but I don't think the pages were oversized. So like they you had to be like really fucking into books to buy those. Cause I remember looking at them as like a high schooler being like, I can't afford these. So then I bought like the phone book size essentials, which is just black and white reprints. And you just get shitty black ink all over your hands after reading them. Couldn't fall asleep with those in bed because it would stain my sheets, whatever. But like, do you think it was just like the inability to, to access these books? This was before they started selling back issues on like CDs, right? I don't know if you remember that, but they used to sell like, oh, the first 500 issues of Amazing Spider-Man on this, you know, six disc CD-ROM set, you know, and it was all just PDFs. Actually, I think I do kind of remember that, but only because I think my DVD of one of the Raimi movies came with like a disc version of Spider-Man No More, I think, or something okay. like that. Um, well, that, was, that was how I read Ultimate X-Men back in the day. I got like the first 60 or 70 okay. issues on, on a DVD that I was able to read on my computer. Hmm. Um, but, but I mean, interesting point about like accessibility and maybe that being like a factor. I, I I don't know. I mean, I don't think, I don't know. I'm trying to put myself into the shoes of like two comic book legends. I feel like they were probably just thinking story first, you know? Yeah. Um, and that is, that, is, that like, is the right answer, by the way. Story first is the right answer. Yeah. Um, but I do feel like maybe if, if someone were, were to write Spider-Man blue today, I think maybe they would think about continuity a little more maybe just because they know that like there's a million fans on the internet that have access to everything and they will fact check you. <laughs> so I think maybe it probably would be more at like the back of someone's mind if they yeah. were to write something like this today, maybe. Yeah. Uh, if I, if but... I were, if I were Zeb Wells, I probably wouldn't check my mentions, you know, <laughs> probably just leave that one alone. <laughs> <laughs> no yeah no yeah it's tough it's tough um but yeah i mean wow we talk about continuity this much but i mean i guess i knew because i took all the notes but <laughs> but you know i think continuity is like a tool that i see usually to be used as a benefit like if you use something from the past in your new story there's like an there's automatically like a oh you get points because it shows that you read that other story mm -hmm. i recognize that that's really cool like it's i feel like it's more helpful than hurtful nine out of ten times but you know you know there's obviously bad examples but i like I, that I though focus on Con continuity is a tool not a rule like i i think that's that should be like the official stance on on continuity perhaps and it's good because it rhymes so that makes it much stronger if it rhymes, it's true. Yeah, it's got to be. Yeah, yeah. Peter at the end of the issue is lying down on like the the roof of a building so close to his home, where his friends are having a party, wondering where he is. He says to himself, "And as stupid as it may sound, Gwen, lying there, the cold, my head blacking out. I suppose I didn't know if I was going to live, but all I could think of was how I let the gang down. What you all would say because I hadn't shown up. What you, Gwen, would think of me." And again, that, that Parker guilt, that Parker perplexion that we got going on. Uh, really strong openings, really strong closings of, of these books where you will never open the book confused about who Peter is, who Peter's, like what Peter stands for. And you're never going to close the book wondering who Peter is and what Peter stands for. That's a great way to put it. Also, I just thought of something uh, because you brought up that quote about Peter saying like... Um, like, I didn't think I'd have to bury her before you about mm -hmm. Aunt May and Gwen. Uh, 
uh, I just uh, remembered that um, uh, death of Gwen Stacy, uh, before they decided on killing off Gwen, uh, I think Ramita and Conway and, and uh, was it Roy Thomas? I don't remember. Um, they were originally thinking of killing Aunt May. Um, and I think the story goes that Ramita was the one that was like, we, we should kill Gwen instead uh but originally they were going to kill aunt may i think or uh, they thought of it you know obviously what happened happened so i i'm not i wasn't in the room but i've read <laughs> interviews where where they where they kind of tossed around the idea of killing aunt may then but well, yeah, i feel anyway. like i feel like aunt may has probably died like what four times since then five times since then uh, a few times I'd, yeah <laughs> i'd have to go count <laughs> <laughs> Issue number five of Spider-Man Blue with a cover date of November 9th, 2002. Harry makes Peter feel awkward about missing the welcome party. Peter uh, is sick with his fight uh, with, with Blackie Drago Vulture. The mysterious man who broke Blackie out of jail saves Adrian Toomes' life with an antidote and goes out to get revenge on Blackie himself. MJ and Gwen fight over who gets to take care of Peter. He rejects them both when he sees Vulture outside his window. He reluctantly goes out to stop the two fighting Vultures and saves Flash Thompson from falling debris. He puts the kibosh on the two bird men fighting in the skyline and comes home to Flash announcing that he's joining the army. The mysterious man sniffs part of Spider-Man's costume and tracks him down. So it's going to be revealed at the beginning of the next issue. It's been pretty fucking obvious this entire time. The mysterious man is craving the hunter, right? Like you got that giant collar. It wasn't going to be anyone else. And I got to be honest, I'm not super familiar with, with Silver Age Spider-Man. I can remember if this was him trying to assemble the Sinister Six or not. No, no. The the Sinister Six already happened. Uh, and Doc Ock put together the Sinister Six. Um, but there is kind of like a similar sort of Craven stuff going on during these issues that uh, Blue takes place during. Um, but again, it's like a little screwy um, because Craven technically is part of the fight with Tombs and Blackie and the two vultures. Craven is also there and that's issue 49, but the farewell party is 47. <laughs> and, uh, so it's, it's, it's not perfectly, you know, like replicating those issues, but there the, is there is like a craven plot the only yeah. the only annoying part about you being so correct about all your comic book shit is i'm like oh well like george you can do that for like the 2000s like don't feel incompetent don't feel insecure about carlos just fucking schooling you on silver age shit and in my head i'm like yeah that makes sense but also i know he can do that for 2000 spider-man books also like he's just it's like finding oh, out no, like no. i'm like i'm really good at dribbling with my right hand and like oh carlos is really good at dribbling with his right hand too that's cool and finding out you can dribble with your left hand i'm like fuck you can do that you can dribble with oh, your no. left hand that's not fair you're an encyclopedia, man. Every Spider-Man issue, uh, sorry, every Spider-Man episode from here on out, uh, standing invitation to you. I can't believe well, you just pulled that out of out of your head. It does help that I grew up reading a Spider-Man encyclopedia, <laughs> <laughs> and actually, and actually, I remember vividly that there's a picture of Flash Thompson in that Spider-Man encyclopedia I grew up reading, and it's a picture from Spider-Man Blue because that that Tim Sale art. It just like was ingrained in my brain. Stands out, yeah. Burn, burn into your retinas. I I really like this issue, especially when the two chicks are fighting over Peter as he's in bed, and like they're both trying to figure out like who gets to save him. Absolutely incredible. MJ after Gwen announced her entrance, like MJ shows up first, and she brings over some of Aunt Anna's uh, homemade soup to try to make Peter feel better. 
And uh, <laughs> Gwen announces her entrance and she says, Napito, remember you're sick. The fever makes you say things you probably don't mean. And then Gwen Stacy shows up just looking incredible in, you know, the, be- the best Tim Sale fashion. And uh, it's clear that she's just like, okay, whatever you're about to say about Gwen or to Gwen, like, obviously you're out of your mind right now. Like her just like fucking semi gaslighting Peter into thinking like, no, you're <laughs> sick. What, whatever you, whatever she suggests that you agree to, like you're out of your mind. You, you can't possibly mean it. Funny in, in funny in a weird way. I, I, I just really enjoyed this moment between those three characters. And I love how fucking pissed they get at the end when he sees vulture outside the window he's just like actually i think i need to get some rest and they're like oh fine fuck off peter and then they just bounce it's it's so good yeah that's cute um it actually reminds me of a spider-man comic from the 2000s uh (laughs) it's like a marvel knights i i believe it was marvel knights spider-man where it's like peter's in bed all injured and felicia and mj are there it's kind of like a similar concept i guess anyway but um i also love this issue and uh, I think this is one of my favorites of the series. And I love, 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 love um, the page where he catches Flash Thompson and brings away with him. And it mimics like the Amazing Fantasy 15 cover swing. Um, like, oh. that's a great homage. Oh, yeah. He even talks about God having a sense of humor on that page. And he's like, it's not lost on yes. me. It's so good. And he has one line, too, before he he's like about to say Flash, where he says, if people knew how hard this job was, I wonder if anyone would do it. Which is top five quotes of the series, for sure, for me. Where it was just like him finally like acknowledging, like, yeah, this job fucking sucks. A bag of dicks, man. I just don't want to do this. And if anyone else knew what you had to do, they just wouldn't. <laughs> like, I just, I, I, I love that self recognition from about like, oh god damn it, not again. <laughs> yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. The uh, the sometimes I do realize that God has a sense of humor, and I actually get the joke. That quote is the one that I didn't want to spoil that I was bring, trying to loosely bring up earlier, um, because that's another one that like is among so many others in this series that is like oh that's so spider-man because i mean that's like parker luck right there parker luck and that's that's stanley like in my head when he's saying god has a sense of humor i'm like stanley has a sense of humor when he's putting peter through all this shit because if you watch like these old stanley interviews talking about you know everything he puts peter parker through Stanley is doing this with a smile on his face. Like he loves torturing Peter. <laughs> and I think that's something I love about Spider-Man 2, uh, the Raimi movie, uh, because yeah, it's it's tough seeing Peter get hit by a backpack as he drops his books and whatnot. But then you realize that like Sam Raimi like hit Tobey Maguire with the backpack himself. And like, uh, it's part of the humor <laughs> of the movie in a weird way, like how poor his luck is. And here, having to save his bully, who is Spider-Man's number one fan, but also hates Peter Parker, and having to save him, like, all that irony, all that Parker luck, like, God has a sense of humor, Stanley has a sense of humor, like, and when you're in the joke, you enjoy the Spider-Man stuff even more, and I feel like that was Peter... That was Peter getting in on the joke, like in, in the tape recorder right there. Uh, uh, la- layered up like a wedding cake, man. Yes. So, <laughs> so many to it. Uh, there's one quote to where he's like, uh, right before he says Flash, where he's interjecting in, in like between the two vultures who are fighting. And just like the, uh, the honesty of there are some days I hate that with great power comes great responsibility. Because he yeah, is he's sitting there, he's staring out the window. He even says, it's like, 
I was just like looking out the window like I was someone watching TV, like every other New Yorker just like looking up at the sky. And I was like, why not? Why not just let these two people kill each other? Like my life would be so much simpler if I just let them duke it out. Yeah. Of course. And then he throws himself into it because he's Peter Parker and he cannot help himself. Yeah. I had one complaint about this issue, not even a complaint, but like a, I, I guess an observation where this is the cool thing about comics, because I think this moment literally only works in comics. And if you try to do it in any other medium, it it falls apart. If you try to do this in a video game, it's awkward. If you try to do this in a movie, it doesn't make sense. If you try to do this in a cartoon. I guess it depends on the cartoon, but I think more times than not, it doesn't work where he shows up to the two vultures fighting. And he says, let me guess you were both at the pet store and they only had one bag of birdseed left. And one thing led to another. So now Spidey ends up with cleanup in aisle four. I think that is a Spider-Man ass joke. I think that is so fucking long that he's allowed to just like give a soliloquy when he shows up literally only works when time is frozen in a printed page. Only time, this could, only time this could work, which is like, I guess, a reason to make fun of comics. I personally going to choose it as a reason to celebrate comics and like why they're fucking cool. Because, again, this this part literally couldn't exist in any other representation. Yeah, you're 100 percent right. That would not work in a movie <laughs> that is you know trying to be believable. Uh, and it's also very hard to do what he's doing while also you know basically like you said it's a big it's a big line of dialogue um and to say that like as you enter the scene it's a little yeah definitely would not work yeah uh, got, but, gotta show gotta show up and look cool somehow while i say this 85 word line <laughs> yeah uh, like there's also there's a there's a similar panel that i think of from like brand new day where like he crashes through a window and as he's crashing through the window, he makes this really long joke. And I was like, did he start? Like, I was trying to think about it in real life. Like, did he, did he start saying that before he crashed through the window? Did he say all that between crashing through the window and landing? Like that is a big like speech to say as you yeah. crash through a window. Like, yeah, Ex- that only works in comics. Explain to me how we land this plane, Jeff. Just, just tell me how it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Ends with a pretty poignant quote, uh, Peter to himself, realizing what he's about to do with his love life. And he says, well, I couldn't exactly see you and MJ putting on a pair of wings and duking it out over Broadway. As amusing as that might be, I had to find a way that would allow all of us to remain friends. And hopefully two of us would be more than that. I had to make a decision, Gwen. One that would eventually answer if I spent the rest of my life with you or with MJ. What I didn't know was the decision was never mine to make. And that is how we end the penultimate issue of the series. Let's just jump into issue six. The cover date, April 9, 2003. Looks like there was a bit of a delay between uh, five and six. No idea what that's about. Um, but man, it's always a bummer when uh, issue issue six, when, when the finale of a book gets delayed. But hey, it's 20 years later. We got the trades. We're good. We're rocking it. Don't be bummed out. The mysterious man reveals himself to be Craven. After failing to arrange Spider-Man's defeat at the hands of Rhino, the lizard and the two vultures decides to go after Spidey himself. It's Valentine's Day and Peter and Harry are throwing a goodbye party for Flash. And Norman is expected to arrive back from the hospital. Craven crashes and kidnaps Harry, who's wearing Peter's aftershave. He absconds and Peter tells everyone else he's going after them to take photos. He catches up and Craven is beside himself in anger that he grabbed the wrong person. 
Norman thanks Spider-Man for saving his son and loses it a bit. Gwen hears a noise from Peter's room and lets herself in right after he's changed out of his Spider-Man suit, comments on how brave he is, and kisses him. And then there's a little... At the end, it's revealed that Peter is married to MJ now, and Gwen's death made them realize they weren't going to live forever, and they could uh, start being serious. Peter had to learn to love again, and she taught him how. I basically have, like, that entire... I think, like, the final three pages of this book kind of make this book, to be honest. Or maybe not make the book, because, like like I said, like, every issue is just like, oh, fuck, actually, this might be my favorite issue. But, like, it really ties everything together nicely on these last three pages when it cuts to present day and we see that Peter is just, like, actually in in the attic recording and, and MJ sort of like talks up it comes up and she's like oh tell Gwen I say hi and like like just like her her understanding I guess of, of why Peter feels he needs to do this I think it's like a really strong ending despite how awkward it is I guess if you explain it on paper it's like oh so she was listening to him talk to his dead ex-girlfriend about how much he loved her that's like awkward on paper but like they they figure out a way to actually like stick the landing I think in oh yeah in in this yeah, it's it's a very sweet ending. One that I think um, it works better on your first read because um, uh, that ending is just so iconic that like I, I didn't really feel the feelings of it as much when I reread it for this. But that's, I guess, more on me because that moment of MJ saying like, say hello for me and tell Gwen I miss her too. Like, that's beautiful. It's, it's beautiful. Um, and it's iconic you know i think that's a lot of people's uh, one uh, like that's a that's a mj moment that people really love um because gwen was a big part of her life too mm-hmm. um and i like um these last three pages how they're all like monotone blue um except for like gwen's gwen's yellow hair and the in the polaroids like oh yeah that's that's a nice touch um it, goes back to how the opening in the first issue was also like all monotone blue, but then all the, you know, flashback stuff is more colorful, et cetera. Like really nice color work, really nice art, beautiful MJ moment, well, great issue, great closer. Is that also the other yellow is like the sound effects of the tape recorder, right? Because like that is his connection to Gwen now. Oh, so like, deep. Yeah. so like there is like, those are the, oh, you're right. Those are the only two uses of color. Everything else is blue tone. Everything else is gray tone black except for like those two highlights of yellow and it's, it's always a sad effect and it's always Gwen's hair and oh God. Yeah. It's, it's like I said, really powerful shit. Good stuff. Yeah. That's great stuff. Great stuff. <sighs> and that's, I guess the end of the series, you know? Yeah. I, I got, I pulled some quotes from this, this issue. It opens up with him. Like he's like, Oh, sorry. I fell asleep while I was recording. I actually had a dream about you. It, it, it just seems so real. I could touch you, hear your laughter and the strangest part, the hardest part was that it was today not in the past you were still alive today life can be so unfair Gwen and I don't know like you're you're 23 I don't know if you've like lost anyone in your life um hopefully not but like yeah man I like just memories have been like kicking my ass lately and it's just like this thing that seems so recent was actually so long ago and I can understand why someone would like feel that was clunky and awkward and it's just like dude, you're married. How could you be talking about someone else like that? It's like, well, no, that's, it's actually, it has nothing to do with that. Like, it's not me wanting to be with this person. It's about me wanting more for this person than they, they got a chance for. And it's just, 
I think really well written and uh, it speaks to me as someone who's been in a reflective mood lately and just, just good, just good stuff. <laughs> All I got for I that part, you. just, just good stuff. I feel, I feel you for sure. I mean, I'm still young, but you know, I, I've had my sad times and my sad boy hours and um, you know, I've had experiences and, you know, I think there's a lot of love songs that hit hard because they, you know, bring back feelings that never really go away. You know, um, they just kind of fade until they're brought back. Right. And I mm -hmm. guess Valentine's day is like this, um, thing that brings back those feelings for Peter. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, and then also there's like, you can get all super, like character analysis on Peter and like whether he grows up ever or not. And like what part of him just like is stuck at like being high schooler when all his traumas happened. And did he really get to live college like a normal guy or was he like always, you know, so busy with Spider-Man that he never processed things. And now he's like 30 and like, hasn't like <laughs> processed all his grief yet. And all yeah. that. And you know. We we got yeah. a night nurse and I know we got Doc Samson, but like maybe there's maybe there's room for like a a, a superhero therapist in in the Marvel universe and ho hopefully it's not like um, DC's hero in crisis. I hope it's a, a little smoother than that story. I don't know if you read that one, but it was not very kind to my guy Wally. Some some bad shit happened there. Um, anyways, back to Marvel. There's a couple lines in this issue that are really weird where it's like him talking about Flash and enlisting. He's like, he's enlisted somehow equating that with being a hero. And I'm like, whoa, okay. okay. He, he, had another, he had another line about that too. Just like, well, this is, I guess all he thinks he can do is just be a soldier. Like he, he just like says this shit where he's just like kind of knocking Flash for his choice. And I think he feels partly responsible for this because it was like after his conversation with Flash on the rooftop and in a previous issue where he, he made this decision to uh, to enlist in the army saying like, yeah, I can't be a hero like Spider-Man, but this is the only way I can understand to be a hero and uh, makes that choice, which I just I just thought was strange. Well, I love the I love the Peter Flash relationship and I love how Spider-Man inspires Flash to be a better person and be a hero. Um, I love that aspect. And I, I, that was one of my favorite bits of issue five is when they touch on that. Um, because that's something that is also touched in like more modern comics a lot. Um, mm -hmm. like in the brand new day era, they do a lot with flash and how Peter has inspired flash. Um, so maybe it's some of that like more modern comics bias in me, but Oh that, no, it, um, it's, it's a great relationship. I'm just saying he seems like anti-military in, in, in this where he's just like, yeah, somehow equating oh, uh, that with being a hero. Like he, he just seems at least like my reading of it. I don't mean to, uh, to imprint on you, but just like my reading, it was just, Oh yeah. He's like, yeah. If he thinks this makes him a hero, whatever. And like, that's not a hero. Like, it, like I got that intonation from, from Peter, but also maybe I was just in a, in a in a weird peculiar mood when I was reading it, and uh, that that's Interesting. Not, how, not how others took it. I feel like I feel like Peter does view Flash as a hero. I, I think, um, but at the same time, especially in these early days, things were still like tense between him and Flash. Like the uh, bullying was was too long ago. Such a dick. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, it's definitely more of again like of a, of a more modern flavor where in like the past 20 years like you get this relationship between peter and flash where 
Peter looks up to Flash almost just as much as Flash looks up to Spider-Man in a way, even though they have that bully history as well. Especially in this, especially in this story, because it seems like he only starts to lay off Peter when he realizes girls are into Peter. And he sees like there might there must be something of value in Peter that I don't recognize. Because he's like, oh fucking scrawny Parker, like whatever. And he's like, wait, MJ and Gwen both want Peter? But I used to crush puss back in high school. Like, what what happened? Why is everyone into him and not me? And it feels like that coupled with the conversation with with Spider-Man, like that was when he <laughs> that was when he made his decision, you know? No, yeah. I mean it's a it's a complicated relationship and dynamic for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny uh, two more moments I want to touch on before we wrap up. There's one beautiful shot where he's like explaining to Gwen and MJ that he's gonna like run after and and take photos of of Harry being abducted by Craven. And he has this line where he says, I wish I could ask you now, did either of you ever buy my pathetic attempts at excuses? Because like they both just like look at him like they're not breaking, but like they have like such a sarcastic look in their eyes where they're like, like they don't believe him. And I whether that's important or not, it, it doesn't matter. Cause like, like we talked about continuity only matters in the story you're reading, baby. But um, man, I just thought that was really great. Where like, he knows he's lying to these women. These women seem to know they're he's that they're being lied to, but they all respect each other enough to not do anything about it, I guess. And I think there's something well, kind of powerful there. Definitely. I mean, the whole duality secrecy lying aspect is definitely a huge part of the appeal of spider-man like of the 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 kind of like emotional like like pain that you you feel when you read it when you're like oh if only you could just be honest with people and if only they understood and ah like there's that angst is important for sure um but speaking of continuity and and touching on this panel specifically i mean if you want to talk about continuity technically mary jane already knows that peter is spider-man like in a story like i think you can go back and read blue again and read it while thinking mary jane knows his secret and it plays out the same but you you kind of can feel it you know you can be like oh yeah like she totally knows like if you if you think that you can be like oh yeah she totally knows this whole time um because canonically, she's supposed to already know at this point. Like MJ uh, knew his secret from the beginning. That's a retcon. Well, okay. So, you know, Amazing no. Spider-Man 257. Yeah, yeah. no. So just like in my head, I'm like, do I like that more? Or do I like that less? Like that that was the debate. I'm like, I kind of like that like her and Gwen are equally horned up for Peter. You know, it's not, <laughs> not like her being horned up for Peter and Spider-Man. You know what mm. I mean? Mm. Gotcha. Sorry, gotcha. You, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I, Amazing Spider-Man, you said 256? Two... No, yeah, like, well, because that was when it was, like, first revealed that, like, I know you're Spider-Man, I've always known, uh, you know, and that really stuck. That's, like, a big part of, like, the MJ relationship is that, like, she saw Peter crawl out his window one night and pieced it together and, mm -hmm. you know, et cetera. Um, and since this story was written in, like, the 2000s, when peter and mj were like together in the jms stuff and like we've seen their relationship be so honest like throughout the 90s and everything like i do feel like it could have been written where like uh, Loeb like wrote it with like the undertone of mj knowing 
um, but not doing anything about it. Uh, but yeah, I just think that's interesting, like with the panel that you brought up and how MJ does have kind of like a smile on her face in that panel. And then also in like the Rhino story where she helps him get to the scene and she's so down for it. Like if you read that with like thinking, oh, cause she knows, cause she, she knows, knows that yeah. Spider-Man, like, it's like, oh, okay. You know, Whereas also, this with Gwen, is, it's a little more painful. Also, this is after. Sorry, I'm looking. Ultimate Spider-Man 22 was. Uh, yeah, okay, sorry. Ultimate Spider-Man 22 was the issue that came out this month that Spider-Man Blue number one came out. So that's after he revealed himself to MJ in that continuity. And I understand it's different continuities. I understand <clears throat> the movie was a different continuity. But also it's like those things seep into public consciousness, right? Like whether that is the continuity of the story you're telling or just like what people are expecting because of some other version of the story that they know. So yeah, I, I, I do think that it's possible that she knew he was Spider-Man this entire time. I'm just trying to decide how much I like that. And so based on how much I like that, if that's like the, the version of the story that I'm personally going to subscribe to. Because again, yeah, that's totally con- fair. Continuity, baby. It's, 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 it's a, it's a tool, not a rule. It's what you got. <laughs> I got two more quotes or really three more quotes. Uh, Peter to himself are remembering the fight with Craven. <clears throat> how many dates, how many kisses did I miss because I was doing this instead of being by your side? I look back at my life as a, as Spider-Man and God help me. There are days and all I can think of is how much time it's taken away from my family and from everyone I've loved. Those two quotes. Uh, again, just reinforcing that that Parker guilt where this isn't like the end of the issue, but like I like we talked about earlier, like there's no confusion as to who Peter is and what his deal is at the beginning of a book, and there's no confusion at the end, and this is starting to reinforce that. And then I want to show you a page, and this is the page where Gwen and Peter finally kiss. Peter's shirtless in his room, and there's the line, "That's when you have me, Gwen Stacy, all of me." Mm-hmm. Um, so that's when you have me, all of me. They fuck that night, right? Like, <laughs> if, if you say that's when you had me, all of me, it's not. It's not what kissing means. Because kissing them all, <laughs> they fuck, right? Well, I mean, I think that is what this page implies. Yeah. 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 Good job, Peter. Good job, Gwen. Yeah, you did it. <laughs> crazy kids just trying to make sense of a crazy world. Good for them. <laughs> Carlos, closing. Yeah, I, cl- Closing thoughts on on Spider Man Blue. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Are there closing thoughts on Spider Man and, and Gwen fucking? I didn't I didn't mean to cut that off. Oh, no, we can we can leave that one, I guess. But I do have one more thing to say about Spider Man Blue that Please. I totally forgot to bring up. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was really happy to hear that you read the Marvels uh, uh, recently mm-hmm. because Phil Phil Sheldon, the reporter, is actually referenced in in, the, in Blue in issue one. And so I was going to be like, aha, Marvel's connection. But I didn't know if that was relevant. So I just oh. saved it till the end. Oh, my God. I, I completely missed it. Was he like in the bullpen at. Um... Did, did we I see think, just do uh... we see a figure with like an eye patch over his eye, like with a camera? Is, is that the, the connection? Oh, darn. I should check if there is like a guy with an eye patch at the bugle. But uh, I think Robertson brings it up to jonah like they're like they're like oh we need the reporter like oh phil shelton's busy let me look at it oh yeah so it's here it's right here um uh robertson says to uh 
to Jonah. Could be a photo op. Uh, and Jonah says, good, get Sheldon on it. And Robertson's like, Phil's covering the Tony Stark trial. So that's Phil Sheldon. That's the, the Marvelous. Oh, my God. Yeah. Fuck. Good eye, man. A little Easter egg. Yeah. <laughs> See, these stories are connected. And we did do it in the correct uh, continuity order. Yes. Again, it, not, the, not the continuity matters. Except for the sake of this podcast where it absolutely matters. And I go in order of these stories. Mm-hmm. Carlos, closing thoughts, Spider-Man Blue. Spider-Man Blue, uh, such a classic, such a banger. Um, I, I, I I feared that maybe I, I wouldn't like it as much uh, revisiting it just because it had been a while. Um, but no, it holds up. It's still still great. Uh, another great uh, Jeff Loeb, Tim Sale story. Um, emotional, beautiful. What else? What can I say that hasn't been said? Hopefully all my nerdy nitpicks were something interesting um i I, i'm they were appreciated carlos (laughs) great um i'm really glad that we got to talk about it now with you know the 50 year anniversary of gwen's death feels good with the amazing spider-man stuff that they're teasing about gwen again um you know i think it's a it's a perfect timing um um, and it was great to revisit again after uh, talking about Dr. Octopus year one with you recently as well, because that was another story that like looks back at early issues with a new perspective. And I got to like play the continuity freak with it. And um, yeah, I just think it's a great back to back read. I was going to say that uh, maybe we could do death and destiny next. If you've heard of that one, that's like <laughs> a story that uh, reexamines the death of captain Stacy Um in the kind of like a similar fashion, but um, that was kind of more of a joke. <laughs> but oh no, a- I just I felt like a bad podcast. I was like, oh, I actually don't know that story. So maybe maybe we should. No, yeah, it's a good one. Lee Weeks, great stuff. Um, oh man, I, I would I'd watch Lee Weeks just draw apples all day if I could. Dude, is, oh, he's so good. Dude he's is so, so fucking talented. Yeah. Anyway, but yeah, um, love this mini. If you haven't read it and you're listening, you should read it. Hell yeah. Spider-Man. <laughs> That's all I have to say. I think the highs of this book are really high. I don't think it like hits many lows, to be honest, but I just think that like the fines, the stuff that isn't the highs, I think is like strictly fine. But I mean, the art is undeniable. Like it's, it's Tim Sale. And the great part about Jeff Loeb is that he never overwrites shit. He probably writes a little too much but i wouldn't call it overwriting i just say he doesn't cover up beautiful art with words like he's not like doing self-important narration stuff i like a lot of this book and i do think it is one of the five books i would recommend someone looking to get into comics and if they're like okay but what about spider-man i'm like oh well like the point of talking about these books right now and daredevil yellow and, and hulk gray and captain america white is that like they are supposed to be snapshots and in modern reinterpretations of the silver age i personally treat this as a stand-in for the silver age like when i want to read old spider-man books i'm more likely to read this than you know jumping in like oh let me check out spider-man 160 you know like i'm just like not wired that way maybe it's because i wasn't reading those books in particular when i first started reading comics and so it just doesn't have like the nostalgia to get me through it but a book like this does have the nostalgia to get me through it. And it probably is the beautiful rose tinted glasses that uh, Tim Sale put on all of us as, as he took us back through 
this story. I'm a little upset that it didn't focus more on their relationship mm. because like, it's a lot of telling and not showing about how much Gwen means to him, but like, we don't really see it here. But then I also like, do you, I don't know. I remember a lot of excitements with my first kisses with someone. Right. And like this entire story is leading up to the first kiss between Peter and Gwen. I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah, no, I remember every detail of like my first real kiss. You know, like I remember every detail of my, my my first kiss with like my current partner. Like, it's just like, oh, fuck, this was like such an amazing night. Let me let me remember every sparse detail that I can possibly put together. And so I do like that. But because we don't see the relationship, the narration based on what we're seeing in the book feels a little disjointed i guess because it's like he's saying how much he loves her but we're not seeing how much he loves her you know like it that's like my one gripe with the story but again like there's a lot of magic in a first kiss and if that's like the climax of the book then i I can accept that you know and i I can still consider this a a good book regardless of my my problems with it no yeah i think that's a very valid uh very understandable like uh critique i would say maybe um but yeah, like that's a very fair point that you don't really see Peter and Gwen's like actual relationship uh, like explored. It's more about like how they came to be. It's like how it went from friendship to relationship. It's like the the beginnings of it, right? Not the actual like meat, you know what I mean? Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, I think maybe, you know, when you look back at your relationships, like do you do you think about like, you know, the excitement of, of like, oh my God, like the, when we first started talking, when we first like became friends and like how that became a relationship. Do you think about that? Or do you think more about the actual relationship or I don't know. I mean, it's interesting that like they chose to romanticize this part of it, but I guess, you know, if you look at the Gwen Peter relationship in the comics, I mean, it would be maybe too much of a bummer to be like, ah, remember when your dad died <laughs> and you went to Europe? <laughs> <laughs> Like maybe uh, it is better to focus on the early stages. <laughs> all right. Well, I mean, fuck when you put it like that. Okay. Yeah. Checks out. <laughs> checks out. Yeah. Carlos, that's uh, that's all I got, man. You got you got anything else you want to add before we sign off? Um, you know, I guess once again, just read the story if you haven't already, and maybe read the Doctor Octopus Year One before it. I, I'm sorry, I keep bringing that up, but I just the, the same way that you're like, um, you know, I'd rather read this than like the actual Silver Age. I feel like if you read the Doctor Octopus Year One, that's like you get your Ditko, and then you read Spider-Man Blue, and you get your Ramita, and then you've read like you know those '60s era. Like, I feel like there's such like good little bite-sized capsules of those times in a way. Mm. Like, yeah. Anyway, so. I guess that's all I have to say. I've said it already. I'm repeating myself. We should end it. I'm sorry. It's okay. It's okay. (laughs) You heard it from Carlos. You can follow Carlos on Twitter at Carlos Loves SM. That is Carlos Loves Spider-Man, which I think he proved throughout this podcast. He emphatically does. You can follow Shortbox Summary on Twitter at Shortbox Summary. I changed my handle. No longer PurpleBird616. Just Shortbox Summary. Turns out that's way more convenient for me than... Than, than this dumb internet name I've been trying to make work for so long. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back in your ear holes next week. I don't know which color story we're talking about, but we're going to be talking about one of them, so you should probably read all of them. Thank you for listening and talk to you soon. Thank you for having me on. It was awesome.